welcome to this week's Scots in Us podcast. I'm Camilla Hellman, President of the American Scottish Foundation. I'm delighted you're joining as we begin our journey around Scotland's Young Distilleries, part two. We're going to begin by speaking with Gary McLean, Scotland's national chef, who will speak to us of how he sees this young, ever-growing industry and speak to us also of the wonderful gins that are appearing often a prelude to the whiskies that follow. We're then going to go up to Harris and hear again from Simon Erlinger of Harris Distillery. And then we travel back to Edinburgh and to tell you more of Johnny Walker, Princes Street, a wonderful new emporium of whiskey and discovery. Before we go outside Edinburgh to Leith and the young distillery that is there, starting with gin, but already importing port and sherry so that they can use the casks as they mature their whiskies. So let's begin our conversation with Gary McLean. And now I'm delighted to be joined by Gary McLean, a man of many titles, no one busier, Gary. You're just back from Alaska, from the Highland Games there. And so thank you yeah. for joining us today. No, not at all, my pleasure. It's always good to talk, Camilla. You had so many roles, you wear so many hats, from the yeah. National Chef for Scotland, to restaurateur, to author, about to the second book just coming out, and as your role as senior lecturer at the City of Glasgow College, which means a great deal to you, I know, as you inspire yeah. so I mean, people. my role at the college is the most important, uh, without a doubt, being in education is the thing that um, really uh, gets me out of bed in the morning. I really, <laughs> really enjoy being part of that. And I've dedicated, you know, much as I've given many titles. And uh, my role, my role at the college has changed over the years. I'm now executive chef at the City of Glasgow College. So my role kind of is fairly wide open. So I've been involved in lots of different things. But I mean, I've devoted 25, probably 25 years of ed into education. And the other part of my uh, education was being educated. So I've really been uh, a part of that college my whole career from 1988. That's how old I am. So I went more or less straight from uh, part-time student graduate after eight years and then I had a, a kind of year uh, not being involved. And then I was asked back to be a part-time lecturer, which I did for 13 years. And then well, we, couldn't, we couldn't think of anyone better to ask to join <laughs> us as you do on so many occasions to guide us about everything that's involving at this very interesting time within the industry of whiskey in Scotland. Yeah. Um, there are several new distilleries um, emerging and new brands coming through from large as well as um, uh, from large names as well as. Um, yeah. The small little ones. Yeah. Um, but what are some of these exciting introductions that you see? I think um, this is all coming off the back of the crazy gin craze that has swept uh, Britain and much of Europe. Uh, and what it's done, you know, from a from a Scottish point of view, and when I go around distilleries and I speak to the 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 new distilleries, the brand new distilleries that they're they're able to open purely because they can sell gin and lay down whiskey you know and i think that that's exciting i don't think there's ever been such a burst of new distilleries in scotland and in england believe it or not are, are opening a lot of distilleries but behind all of that when you meet the people yes they're very passionate about their gin but they're excited about the whiskey that's 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 waiting to come so we have got a lot of exciting new whiskies that are going to be getting drip fed through between now and probably the next 25 years due to the gin craze. So we can thank gin. But there's also a lot of great gins coming through. It's not just this craze to make a gin. Yeah, yeah. Great gins. Yeah, no, uh, they're fantastic. And the, and the way people are approaching them, there's so many different markets for gin now. There's, you know, it's no longer just a gin and tonic. You know, there's, there's people being quite, um high end with them and they're really you know you know coming up with really different mixes and and things like that and then there's the fun ones as well you know that are targeting a, a much wider audience so um and to a degree whiskey's doing that as well whiskey's doing a lot to 
to bring in that that younger audience and and it's amazing the amount of people I meet even out with you know chefs and stuff and obviously my travels the amount of people that I meet that are absolutely hooked on whiskey and uh, again I was talking to a, a chef in Alaska and his knowledge of whiskey was unbelievable I mean much much 10 times better than mine you know, and I live a stone throw from about seven distilleries, but the, the, you know, so they're definitely getting that younger market. So they are, and you know, they're, they're on high streets. You know, if you look at Johnny Walker and Princess Street, they're yeah. really, you know, a three story, four story um, whiskey experience. And uh, as we were talking earlier, you know, going on the rooftop bar overlooking Edinburgh Castle, Princess Street, the Balmoral and all these iconic landmarks. They've got beautiful. some very interesting new whiskies at Johnny Walker too, which seems to speak to the fact that it, it, things have evolved so much, taking into account the, the female audience that may want to have more of a cocktail or want a lighter whiskey than yeah. maybe the heavier, smokier ones. And, um, and also then all that's being done with whiskey, because there's so much focus now on the pairings of it, as well as the cocktail. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, and again, that, that's back to that branding, that younger branding, attack, you know, attracting that younger market. And as you mentioned, females, you know, when I was in the bar in Johnny Walker, most of the customers were, were females between the age of 20 and 30. So it's quite interesting how the, the whole dynamic and the whole image is changing but there's a there's a lot of fun out there and you know when you know when you see the you know, when we do the the whiskey tastings at any events in the states you know the, the experts are in their 20s and they're coming at it with a completely different viewpoint but and and the other side of the plant the, the, the thing is as well is the internet so instagram and tiktok are massive 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 tools for, for most companies and in particular whiskey companies. And when they're really shown off, you know, these beautiful, colorful, exciting, and uh, sometimes gastronomic, you know, when they do the, the, the bubbles and stuff, you know, they, they, they bring you in. So they do, they do bring you in. We've also got a lot of new whiskey distilleries appearing over here. Is that um, right? Oh, brilliant. Hard on. Um, so um, when you're over here, I'll have to bring you up to date a little bit on, on all that's going on, um, but very much based upon everything happening from, from Scotland, from the heritage. Um, but what, how do you work with whiskey at this moment? Are you working um, a sort of in pairings or adding it, or how do you tackle incorporating whiskey into the menus? Well, the, the first thing I do is actually taste it. But a lot of, a lot of working with whiskey is a trial and error. You know, something like um, Laphroaig as a chef is something, you know, that is huge, huge whiskey, you know, smoky and, and, you know, it's very, very distinct. And it's something you wouldn't automatically think to cook with. And uh, I tried it with a Kranikin, you know, Kranikin dessert. You know, and a Kranikin dessert, you'd probably expect something a bit more mellow, a Macallan or something that's, that's got that little hint. I tried it with uh, Laphroaig and it was stunning. I mean, what it did for that dish was totally elevate it and it made, you know, it's a, it's a dish with five ingredients. So it made that dish, it just it lifted that dish completely. And I couldn't believe it. I really, as a chef of, you know, I think I was cooking 30 years at that point to then discover that that, completely changed as soon as you had it with some honey and some fresh fruit and things like that quite incredible so there's there's always a, there's always a way of learning i am um, i did a, a a series of whiskey dinners uh, in edinburgh a couple of months ago and it was all tied in with fun and cocktails and things like that and uh, i got whiskey into every single dish and honestly it, it works it works as well as wine there you go whiskey well, there works we as go. well as wine so <laughs> Now, but um, as we talk about menus, I love your first book that you brought out. Yep, thank you. I know that you have a, another one, a second one that is now finished. Will we yes. see it here in the States? I think there's a, there's, there's a, there's a dedicated uh, US launch in the spring of 23. All right. Good. So unlike, so my last book was available, the same copy was available worldwide. Um, there's going to be a dedicated 
dedicated copy for the US market, which is really exciting. Well, we so, work in ounces, you know. We exactly, we exactly, exactly. But to be fair, Camilla, the, the, the second book, um, Scottish Kitchen, I did I did write it with all you guys in mind, and I did do metric and US measurements. Yes. But there is a there is a uh, a North American uh, copy getting made as we speak. So there's a, a US publisher is is going to really push that out in the states. So we'll be uh, we'll, we'll be talking later on that to help help that get pushed what? out, and hopefully it's ready for Tartan Week, which would be brilliant. I know that would be fantastic. That would be good. So when you look at the whiskey industry in Scotland at this moment, um, you're excited by it. Most definitely. I don't think, I mean, I don't have any facts or figures. I don't think there's ever been such an increase in distilleries in Scotland ever, ever, ever. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's quite incredible. Glasgow's uh, just got an, a brand new distillery and Glasgow's been void of distilleries, I think, for 200 years, other than Auchentoshan, which is which is to the north of the city, heading towards uh, Loch Lowen. There's a Clydeside distillery. And they've taken over the, the pump house right in the heart of Glasgow, right on the Clyde. So, you know, and I think they've been up and running maybe two years. So they're a wee bit away from maybe getting their first whiskies out. But they've got a full visitor centre and invested a lot of money. I haven't been in yet, and I don't know what the ethos is and where their styling and stuff's coming from. But as you as you go past it, it looks amazing. And to be in the heart of Glasgow, right next to the, you know, the Clyde is, is really, really special. We were speaking to Leaf the other day, who um, have got a gin going and everything. They're also importing the uh, the port and the sherry and distributing that so that they know the casks that they'll be using <laughs> their whiskey. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so exciting to join them on their journeys. I mean, Harris is just a very short while away from being able to finally have their whiskey out yeah. there, but their gin is winning golds all it's, over the it's, place. It's, it's unbelievable. I think Harris Distillery, they're, 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 um, I don't know if they class themselves as disruptors, but they've done everything their own way. You know, they, 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 they've got a clear vision of what they want and what they want to put out. And uh, it's, it's I, I'm looking fast. forward to seeing their, yeah, they, they totally understand the brand. They've got the most beautiful bottle um, that I've ever, ever seen. I'm interested to see. Have you seen the the whiskey bottle? Have they revealed that yet? They would. Um, I Simon Erlanger was talking with us, and um, he in fact decided on the bottle ten years ago. Wow! And so he's now wow. trying to bring it forward. Um, yeah. it. So you have to have a chat with him and find out what's going on. Um, uh, yeah. You know, but the, the other thing that's coming through that we saw with our Becky, we see with Harris is that they're managing to get distribution over here sorted a little bit more easily, yeah. which is so important because each state has its own regulation. That's right, yeah. It's quite a complicated system, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But they, they does seem to be um, a little bit better than it was. Yeah. Um, so when we talk to them, we are able to... They may not be in every state, but they're in some. And here is the internet and the website and here you click and you yeah. can know how to get it. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think it's great seeing more and more. And obviously I do a little bit of work with the SDI, you know, and helping get, you know, fish and shellfish into American markets, but that goes hand in hand with the whiskey and gin and rum and things like that. And it's quite interesting. You know, I was recently in South Carolina with SDI and we were there with Carl. Uh, you've met Carl, who who works for SDI, and he he's he's the guy who who kind of be the the, the foot soldiers in this in this in the states and try and get make sure that the distribution's good and make sure that they can get into particular states. And it's just fascinating to hear, you know, the the story of how how do you actually get a new product into a state? It's, it's quite interesting. The amount of work is is uh, unbelievable. But there's a lot of support out there for manufacturers through. Um, the government and SDI that can help them get there. I think that they have made huge strides in in getting it simplified or the more working model because you can see the difference in yeah. how it's working now, and that's yeah. fantastic. 
but I think it's I, important that smaller distilleries get that gateway as well. Yes. You know, you know, and and, and Harris is a, a prime example of of a you know a small distillery that is that is doing big big things. Well, they also um, they have a good these the small distilleries. They are a small team, but they've got great professionals. Yeah. And they understand that it doesn't happen overnight, and that they've got to keep on at building up the message, which with yeah. Facebook, TikTok, as you say. Instagram really is so much easier for them to do that. Um, but I'm so excited that you're around. We're going backwards and forth again, that we're going to see you shortly. I know, I know it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's uh, airports. I've never seen an airport airports busier, you know, and I've done, I've, I think I've been to the States since we were allowed back in November. I think I've been over six times. You know, so I've been over lots and lots, Chicago, uh, South Carolina, Alaska was amazing, been in New York a few times. So you had a big fish back. with you that you caught. Do you know, do you know, Camilla, that was a rubber fish. So this is this is Alaska's take on the Highland Games. And they've got all the usual, the hammer thrown and the and the cabers and everything else. But that's a 50 pound rubber salmon. And and the big the the big athletes, they swing it above their head. And try and get it as far as they can. And I think the, I think the record something like thirty-seven feet. And the and the big lad I was in the photograph with, he 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 got it that far. I couldn't lift it. Honestly, I couldn't lift it. Never mind fling it. But it was. Hammer course <laughs> has a new has a new take in Alaska. Well, that that's what they're doing. I thought, you know what? It really some it really sums up the Alaskan games. So maybe each state should try and find their own game. Uh, and then we should bring them all for a state game or something together. So the winner of the state game should all meet up, you know, somewhere handy and uh, compete against each other's games. So, but uh, I just thought, you know, what what great fun. It was it was wonderful to see you there. Um, I'm off down to Carolina in a couple of days to Grandfather Mountain. Oh, fantastic. Very excited about. Um, and we should catch up very shortly to speak further on this because if you can guide us and give input it means so much you are such an ambassador for the whole food industry and oh, thank you thank well, you for all it's you my do. pleasure thank no you. problem thanks Camilla see you soon bye-bye and I'm delighted that this morning we're catching up with Simon Erlanger He's the Isle of Harris Distillers Managing Director. He has a long history of working in the industry and has been the, one of the driving forces in bringing forward the Harris Distillers, who began with the mission to introduce a whiskey to, from the Isle of Harris. But in the meantime, they have brought out some wonderful gins. So I'm delighted to speak to you again, Simon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good morning, Camilla. Yeah, lovely to be here again. It's been a few months, I think. You are really on a very fast track at the moment because your gin is winning accolades all over the place. You've won several awards recently. Yeah, it's quite exciting, actually. I mean, we've always uh, entering, you know, these, these taste awards and to start to win quite a large number of master's medals and gold medals is fantastic. I was able to announce this morning to my team on our weekly meeting that we just won another gold, which I think is the, the, gin, the Global Gin Masters Award. And so this small team of distillers on the Isle of Harris, you know, they really can't believe it that they're making a gin that's being celebrated all around the world. It's, it's very exciting for them and for the island in general. Well, the industry has changed so much, whether it be gin or whiskey, um, through the internet, through the marketing that now happens around everything. We now have a global connection. Um, we're talking to you from New York, um, and this will go out to our members and audience around the world. Uh, it's a different day, isn't it? It's, it's extraordinary, absolutely. And as you say, I've been in the industry for about far too long to remember, but um, this is an amazing time, actually, in terms of the explosion of craft 
distilled beverages, you know, whether it's gin or whiskey or tequila or rum, it's absolutely extraordinary what's happening. There's the, I think in the UK, we're up to 800 gin distilleries now. Um, in England, would you believe, there are 45 whiskey distilleries and there wasn't a single whiskey distillery in England 10 years ago. And, you know, the same's happening all around the world. So in a way it's fantastic because uh, it gives consumers such an amazing amount of things to choose from, uh, different flavors. It, it breeds innovation and creativity. Um, in a way, it's also quite complex now for a tiny company like ours, you know, competing on a global stage with limited resources and cutting through, I guess, all of the, the noise, the, the virtual noise and the physical noise uh, of all of these products. And I guess at the end of the day, as I always think very simplistically, every one of these bottles has got to find its place on a shop shelf or on a bar. Now, where are they all going to end up? You know, because everybody wants to be more or less in the same bars and in the same shops, because these are the fine places to buy spirits. Uh, and, and yet there obviously isn't room for everybody. And I think that's absolutely fascinating on a physical sense, but also digitally, you know, all of these brands are all fighting for share of mind. They're all trying to send their messages out into the ether uh, to find their target consumer wherever they are in the world. So it's, it's a fascinating time. You know, the thing that resonates first to me is this is from the Isle of Harris, this wonderful island on the west coast of Scotland. And the when you look at your website, you look at anything, your bottle, this blue that comes through of the waters of, you know, I think of the waters of Harris, the seas around, um, it, it has a wonderful imagery. And I feel we're, you know, we're having a piece of Harris when we, we take a wonderful gin and tonic from, with your gin. Well, that's lovely that you say that, because that's absolutely what we set out to achieve. I mean, as I've discussed with you before, the whole purpose of the distillery is to send Harris out to the world in a bottle to bring this place to a wider audience through our spirits and through our storytelling so that we can create ourselves a small number of sustainable jobs for generations to come but actually as importantly or more importantly to act as a catalyst we want to bring people to the island so they can discover this magic place for themselves and thereby they're boosting tourism and all the other industries on the island and we can reverse the decades of depopulation that Harris has endured. So uh, when you say things like that, that we're actually managing to send Harris over to the States, for example, where you are in our bottle and through our storytelling, then that's absolutely what we want to do. And I guess back to your question about the category and, and, and my point about the, the, all the noise and the clutter that's going on there. I don't tend to think terribly much about that because my focus really is simply, how do I get this bottle and this message into the hands and minds and hearts of people who I think it will resonate with? But also, you know, I met you, it must be over 10 years ago now, as you were beginning this journey um, with Harris. And a very big part of it was also to help the people of Harris and the community there and to put this new industry alongside all the weaving and everything else that goes there. And so at this point, that really must, you must have achieved a lot of that. Um, how many people are now involved? Well, I mean, extraordinarily, last week, we, we recruited six people last week alone, and we're now up to 45 employees. Now, put that in context, uh, there are working population of Tarbot is just under 600. Um, and sorry, the working population of Harris is just under 600. So we are, we are employing almost 10% of the working workforce now. Wow. Uh, and, um, you know, this is 
hugely exciting. We set out with the intention of getting up to about 25 jobs. So we're at 45 today and we, we will continue to recruit because we've barely started. We haven't introduced the whiskey yet and the gin still has huge amounts of potential anyway. So yeah, no, it's, it's tremendously exciting. Well, you should be so proud of this. Um, and could you tell us a little bit about how you see the challenges and the other distillers coming along? I think you all enhance each other in a way because gin has had a larger spotlight put on it because of the young new whiskey distilleries that are emerging because you normally do gin before whiskey. That's become a, that's become a model. Uh, for these new distilleries, as you say, it's uh, it, the gin helps to bring in some revenue early on while we're waiting for the whiskey to mature, which is exactly why we we introduced the gin, but also to establish a brand and establish a reputation. So, so that's all been that's all been good. I think you know there is an element of saturation starting to take place now, you know, and and some of the innovation and some of the flavors and, 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 and different colors that have gone into gin have gone too far. And I think what we're seeing now in the more mature markets like the UK actually is some of that flavoring and coloring has kind of falling away because it really hasn't necessarily done the gin category any good. And people are now increasingly falling back on the classic London dry gin, juniper forward, which is what gin really was always about. So I think what we are going to see over here in the more mature markets is a consolidation happening. Now yep. in America, I think we're still at a very early stage of the gin essence, as we call it, uh, the gin boom. And uh, there's a lot of excitement and a lot of room for growth. And this is why as a company, we think the USA offers a fantastic future. I mean, we've, we're just literally 13 months into our journey in the US. We're so in you, 11th. You are now available in select markets, as we might put it here. It's not the easiest place to distribute, but you really have kicked off very well. And if people go to the website, they can find how they can be um, sourcing uh, your gins in the, in the US now. Absolutely. If you click on harrisdistillery.com and then click on the American flag or the US uh, at the top of the bar, then that will take you straight to a stockist page. You can just put in your um, zip code and it will tell you where your nearest retailer is. We aren't everywhere. We're in 11 US states, but, but most of our business is in New York, California and Texas. Uh, New York has been actually really surprising for us. It really has taken off very quickly. In fact, two of my colleagues were out in New York recently. We held our first ever Kaylee in, uh, in Brooklyn uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, we launched, helped launch a book. There's a, there's a chap called the Hebridean Baker. I don't know if you've heard about him. Yes. Konyach yes. McLeod, yeah. who was over in the States launching his book on baking uh, and we're doing a lot of work with him, actually, and uh, spreading the word about Harris Gin in, in that way. Well, I think that, um, tell me a little bit about the different uh, flavors or blends that you are looking to introduce or have introduced at this moment. Well, we, uh, the answer is very simple, none. We, uh, yeah. we have one gin and one gin only. So our strategy is the diametric opposite to what many gin distillers are doing. Our focus is on making a single flavor. Uh, sugar kelp from the sea is our kind of secret, special botanical, less secret, but then special, uh, from the Outer Hebrides, which gives the gin its kind of very subtle, sweet, savory um, maritime note. Um, and, and so what we just do is focus all of our efforts on making that gin as good as it can be day in and day out, rather than introduce new flavors. Well, also you now have the whiskey coming along, which isn't far away from um, being on market, is it? Yes, it, it's not too far off. I mean, the, the whiskey itself is 
really getting close to being ready to be put in a bottle. We're getting very excited about how that's evolving. Um, all the flavor characteristics we dreamt of seem to be coming through in the maturing spirit. And so we're very excited about that. I guess the next challenge for a little company like ours is actually to prepare operationally to be able to launch the whiskey. I know that sounds a bit silly, but it's a huge task to uh, to prepare everything, to get all the infrastructure right, to get the team prepared uh, in order to, and, and the packaging we've got. Of course, there's a bottle. Uh, that bottle for the whiskey was designed back in 2013 at the same time as the gin bottle was designed. So now it's a question of bringing that bottle to life and dressing it with labels and capsules and stoppers in a way that's going to have a similar wow effect that the gin bottle had when, when we first launched well, we, we love your, your gin over at the American Scottish Foundation. We think the bottling is gorgeous and it's a very good product as well and one that's greatly enjoyable to drink. Um, and as I say, I feel that we're transported to Harris, um, which is, is wonderful. So um, I'm looking forward to hearing when we are going to be able to get the whiskey in the States. This is sounding quite close now. Yes, and it won't be this year. And it possibly might be next year, but I cannot put a definitive date on it yet. Is it available in the UK yet? No, 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 we have not launched our whiskey anywhere. Oh. Nope. So it's it's there's a lot of anticipation building. Um, right. And 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 as soon as it's available in the UK, it will also be available in the US in very limited quantities. I have to add. So we will be uh, allocating specific quantities to all of our partners around the world who've been kind of waiting patiently for this moment. So, uh, but I'll I'll let you know as soon as I know. Okay, this is good. We also talk to Bonhams quite regularly around their whiskey auctions. Uh -huh. And so it sounds like you're going to have a whiskey that is going to be a real collector's item too, if the quantities are going to be limited in this way. Yes, possibly. I mean, what we don't want to do is exploit that. I mean, we will have limited avail availability to begin with, but we're not going to be pricing it in a way that makes it, you know, a collector's item uh, or, or totally unaffordable. Of course, it will be, you know, at a very premium price. Everything we, everything we do on the island costs a lot of money, so uh, it, it won't be cheap, but we're not going to be bringing out a sort of a first edition at a particularly high price. It'll, it'll be launched at the right price. Well, you've done that with the gin. And if the marketing around the gin and introduction of the gin is anything to go by, this is just such an exciting time. And I'm so um, excited for you because having, as I said, met you over 10 years ago as you began this journey, to see where it's now at is just fantastic. So congratulations. Well, you. thank you, Camilla. That's wonderful to hear your support and, uh, you know, the, the support of you and your, the foundation. And uh, it, it's going to be down to people in the States, people who, who, who support us and who can help us spread the word. We don't have the budgets for grandiose marketing campaigns. So it's going to be very much about creating personal connections like the, we, the one we developed 10 years ago and, and others around the country who are going to help us to spread that word. So it's really appreciated. Well, we we're really love the fact of uh, being able to help you amplify all that you're doing. So please keep in touch. And we listen, we're looking forward to hearing the next chapter. And um, we will let everybody know how they can find the gin now here and um, toast back to Harris. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good morning, and welcome to this week's Scots in Us podcast. I'm delighted that we're going to be able to catch up with Mary Jane Brett, who is Customer Development Manager at Johnny Walker Princes Street, Edinburgh. Good morning. How are you this morning? Hi, Camilla. I'm, I'm very well. It's actually afternoon for me, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm very well. Thank you. 
So when we last spoke, it was around the Scottish North American Community Conference, and you were just opening up um, at Prince's Street. Could you tell us a little bit about all that's been going on as you opened up? And first of all, begin us uh, telling us a little bit about the 200-year history to Johnny Walker. Oh, no, absolutely. So yeah, when we spoke last time, um, yeah, lots happened since then. I think it was around November. We, we actually opened Johnny Walker Princess Street in September last year. So it was pretty fresh. It's still fresh and we've only been open for, for 10 months um, and it's gone past really, really quickly. Um, so yeah, the 200 years is really important to us. Um, John, John Walker first opened his, his business in Scotland in um, 1820. So it's actually 202 years old now, the, the business, and um, it's grown from very humble beginnings uh, as a small grocery shop in, in the west of Scotland in a, in a town called Kilmarnock through to this international global brand. Um, you know, Johnny Walker is the most popular Scotch whiskey in the world. And um, with the opening of Johnny Walker Prince's Street in Scotland, it's really the first time that, that there's been a home for people from around the world to come and visit and find out more about the story. And it is an absolutely amazing story and something that's really at the forefront of pretty much everything we do in, in the building at, at Johnny Walker Prince's Street. So, um, and it's an outstanding building. Yeah, it's a very well, historic it's building like you're in itself. Just yeah. You're a, a wonderful, iconic, historic building that you've Yeah, so we're, I mean, we're right in the centre of Edinburgh, um, opposite Edinburgh Castle, at the west end of, of Princes Street. And the building used to be a department store um, for many, many years. It was also, part of it was a bank. And, you know, we've been very careful with, with the, the development to really keep the the structure, you know, it looks the same as it would have done 150 years ago whenever the building was built. I'm not sure exactly, but um, there's a lot of architectural her heritage in the building that we've been very, very keen to preserve. And um, yeah, we couldn't ask for a better location just across the street from Princess Street Gardens with, you know, fabulous views over to the castle. But you know, having this historic building mm -hmm. lends itself to reflect the history of over 200 years, because um, yes, you've, you've made it atmospheric from what I've been seeing from pictures and everything yeah, else, yeah, as well absolutely. as contemporary. Yeah, so yeah, that's exactly it, Camilla. There's a, a real mix between the new, the contemporary and, and the, the historic. So if you, when you first walk into the building, you walk into this amazing welcome lobby, which is pretty much unchanged structurally from what it would have been like when, you know, when the building was built. Beautiful marble columns, um, absolutely stunning. But then as you progress through the building with the experiences um, and the bars, it really is at the forefront of uh, technology and architecture. We've installed two rooftop bars on the roof, which are absolutely fantastic. Um, and, you know, the experiences, they, they're a mix of storytelling and technology. So we're, we're bringing all of, all of those different elements together. And, and what is so wonderful as you take it through, you're also progressing the way we look at whiskey and experience it. And sustainability and eco is very important in front and center to what you're speaking of now and doing at Johnny Walker. Yeah, and you know, quite quite rightly so, and so so should we all be trying to do that. You know, we we um, with our attractions in Scotland and very much so Johnny Walker Princess Street at, at the forefront. You know, with the developments that we've been doing, we felt a great responsibility to to build as sustainably and to deliver experiences as sustainably as we as we possibly can. Um, we opened with the Green Tourism Gold Award, which is, you know, we're really pleased about. Uh, um, it, that just kind of reflects our, our efforts with sustainability. You know, there's always, there's always going to be work, work to be done. You know, and as part of, you know, a bigger company, um, you know, Johnny Walker is a brand that, that sits within the Diageo company. And 
Diageo as a whole have, you know, really stretching targets for, for sustainability, particularly aiming towards 20, 2030. We look at um, sustainability as one of the pillars. Another one is inclusion and diversity. And another one is around the approach to positive, positive drinking as well. And, you know, every asset and um, part of the experience at Johnny Walker Princess Street has been viewed through that lens of how can we make it more sustainable? What can we do to reduce waste? Um, and, you know, look at the city centre, wildlife and all those kind of things that, you know, there's all these little, little things that have been going on, that are going on inside the building to try and enhance that sustainability, our sustainability credentials. Don't you think that um, it, the whole way we speak of whiskey and how it is now targeted has in the past 10 years changed so much because it's no longer looked at as a wee dram at the end of the evening or for the men or something. You know, women count into this a lot too. We like slightly maybe lighter whiskies sometimes and we like cocktails. I feel that the, the cocktail, whiskey cocktail has come and forward again and developed. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good point. I mean, what really very central to what we've been doing is making whiskey as accessible to everyone as an, and as appealing to everyone uh, as as possible and you know the cocktail mixology is all is, is all a part of a part of that you know the highball was invented um in the 1920s yes it's not it's not a new thing no you know, people seem to have forgotten about highballs and cocktails and um all that kind of thing and got very focused on single malts and drams and very serious drinking whiskey by a fireplace in an armchair um oh, and, you know, the touch of ice yeah a little bit yeah. no water don't do anything sacrilegious to it so what we're trying to do is you know if you want if you want to enjoy a whiskey like that please do you know we have some amazing whiskies that are perfectly enjoyed as a dram by a fire in an arm in an armchair but we want to say you know there are other ways to try it too you know come come and visit us and you know, try an amazing highball, you know, a Johnny Walker and ginger or some really, really out there experimental cocktails. And, you know, we find it's not it's not just the ladies that like cocktails, you know, a lot of men quite like them, quite like them, too. And another important thing that I wanted to mention was that, you know, we're really, you know, with going back to that pillar I was talking about, one of our um, goals for 2030 is about positive drinking. So not drinking is also an option. So everything we do at Johnny Walker Princess Street, you have non-alcoholic options there as well that taste amazing. Um, beautiful cocktails and highballs that you don't have to have any alcohol in and to get that full, full experience. And you know, that that's really important to us as well. So um you've have you had new introductions um that have been made to the market that's more targeted to a lighter palette in the whiskey blends are have you been introducing i i saw that you had the year of the tiger and the year of the ox and um the beautiful bottles mm -hmm. stunning um but it, are, have they been introduced with a different blending idea are they Okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Um, so essentially what, what we do, um, and this applies as much to Johnny Walker as it does to our other blends and, and single malt whiskies, we're bringing out what we call ex new expressions all the time. And what we tend to have a core range. So your Johnny Walker Black Label is there. It's been going for years and years. It's there year in, year out, all this, you know, very, very, it's like our core permanent collection, if you see what I mean. But then we'll look at bringing out special editions, collectible editions, that kind of thing. And to your to your mention of lighter whiskies, there there is a, a a blend of Johnny Walker called Johnny Johnny Blonde, which which came out not long ago, which is perfect for drinking with lemonade. Very simple. Add a slice of lemon, bit of ice. It's a, it's a summer cocktail. But you mentioned the 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 year of the tiger, and that would be the Johnny Walker Blue Label. So. With that, every year we bring out um, a, uh, a bottling of Johnny Walker Blue Label, um, which celebrates the Chinese Lunar New Year. And it's all about celebrating prosperity, good fortune, and that celebration around about that time each year. So, 
you know, the, the liquid in, in blue label is wonderful. Uh, it's really, it's one of our top, top le level blends, right. you know, with Johnny Walker and they commission, the team commissioned an artist for, for the year of the tiger. It was um, Shan Zhang, uh, who, who did, who produced all the artwork for that, right. that bottle. And then I looked up the tasting notes. It sounds delicious. I really want to get myself a bottle, you know, vanilla, honey, caramel, hazelnut, dark chocolate. These are all the kind of uh, tasting notes that you would get get from that bottle. But yeah, every every um, different expression that comes out, whether it's a blend or a single nut, has a, has a, a different flavor profile. Um, and that, that comes from the way it's matured, the way it's distilled. Yeah, you know, they're having some fun. Yeah. They're having exactly. some fun. They're mixing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very creative process. Yes. Very creative process. And also just to say, you know, going back to, you know, role models and, and women enjoying whiskey. Um, we were really, really pleased towards the end of last year to announce a new master maker uh, of Johnny Walker, who um, is the first lady, first woman uh, master maker in the 200 year history of, of Johnny Walker. Um, she's called Emma, Emma Walker. So the previous master maker called Jim Beveridge retired towards the end of last year. Now Emma is, uh, is is doing that is in charge of that 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 mar the the master maker role uh, for the Johnny Walker uh, blends, which you know we're really excited about. And equally, I, I was just looking the other day at who visits us um, in terms of demographics and and gender, and we're pretty evenly split. Uh, the bookings the, the the other day when I was looking, fifty one percent were made by men, men forty eight forty nine percent were made by by women. And our flagship experience, the journey of flavor, which is the, the tour that we really want everyone everyone to do, we just tip it with the women booking 52% of our tickets. So that's something um, that we're really pleased about. I, I, on a, you know, <coughs> as we all begin to travel again with our families, are young people allowed, um, are people under 18 allowed to be with you or do they get a special wristband or how, can they, can they, visit with their families yeah absolutely absolutely now johnny johnny walker princess street is not a distillery we don't make whiskey there johnny walker is a blend so when you come to johnny walker um princess street we don't have considerations about hot surfaces and, and stills and all those other kind of things that we that are a consideration when we we think about allowing you know young children yeah. uh, i'm talking like under eight around yes. we don't have those concerns at johnny walker princess street so you could bring a babe in arms along absolutely absolutely no problem the rule we have is that you don't drink if you're under 18. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the rule of the land and that's the, that's the rule we follow but as I said before we have amazing non-alcoholic options that you know anyone you can anyone go has. online and book tickets to yes. come and visit you yeah. and you're right there in the centre of Edinburgh and uh, what a great new addition to experiencing Edinburgh to now be able to come and join you yeah um, and um We've been growing in popularity ever since we opened. You know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster coming out coming out of the pandemic. The last few months, I would say probably since since March, we've really seen a boost in visitors, and very much so from from the US as well. You know, you're our biggest um, international market coming coming to Scotland at the moment, and we're just looking forward to welcoming more international visitors. Uh, we've, we've been very lucky. We've had a lot of interest from people that live in the city and people throughout the UK, but you know, having, having international tour, tourists coming back um, would be absolutely amazing. Yeah, and you just need to go on. We have johnnywalker.com, visit us in Edinburgh. It's pretty simple. Just, we've got a few different experiences you can do. The journey of flavor is amazing. Very immersive, personalized. You get three drinks and, it's just a fun, vibrant experience. And well, uh, I've done it quite a few times and I love it every time I do it. It's always something new. I'm planning to be in Edinburgh in August. And so I'm looking forward to popping in. Sure. Seeing you as well. And um, we're going to be, um, you know, hoping to hear more from you um, and to talking further and also talking to Emma Walker. I think it's fabulous that you have a new master maker who's the first female for you. This is 
breaking ground. Fantastic, fantastic news. So thank you for sharing all this. I think the Johnny Walker Blonde with Lemonade sounds a very good combination for the summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's delicious. It's really light. It's just a a nice, nice mixed drink. Bit of ice, lemon, sunshine, ideally. (laughs) All right. Well, hopefully you'll share that with us and we can share it with everybody. But thank you for joining us this morning and spending some time with us. A pleasure. Thanks, Camilla. Good afternoon, Ian, and thank you for joining us today. Um, We are fascinated to learn all about the distillery and the three arms to it that you have, because your long-term plans are to introduce whiskey in a very unusual botanical and eco way from from reading through your website. But right now, your gin has really been getting a lot, garnering a lot of praise and winning a lot of awards. And you also have sherry and port. So can you start us off by telling us how it all came to be and the journey that you've been on to get to this point? Because it's not simple. No, no, indeed, it's not. Good afternoon, Camilla. Thank you very much for, for, for inviting me onto your podcast today. So, yes, our, um, our journey has been a long one. And it really, I, I guess, goes back to perhaps 2012. Um, my business partner and I, lifelong friends, known each other since we were four, and we grew up in Edinburgh together. We ended up in London. I was working in the wine industry. He, uh, he'd become an accountant. He ended up working for a big a company called WeWork from America, um, and he became their finance director. But we, we'd both become obsessive about whiskey. And back in 2012, um, we were just we we began to play with sort of making whiskey in our back garden a little bit. Um, uh, and um, through that, we discovered that you know, despite being huge whiskey fans, it, people always spoke to us about water and casks and stills. But we discovered that actually, by far the most complicated bit of making whiskey was in in the brewing part, because whiskey is distilled beer. First, you brew a beer and you distill that beer into whiskey. And it's actually in brewing that beer that there were so many decisions to make. So what yeast do you use? uh, What grain? How long do you ferment for? All these different things. And in playing with that, we thought, there's something in this, actually. There's a lot more to to making whiskey. And we we could create something quite interesting with this particular thing. So that's where, where the idea was born. And the other element being coming from Edinburgh, Scotland's capital city. At the time, there was no single malt whiskey distillery up here. And we thought that was an opportunity as well to, 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 to have a single malt in, in Scotland's capital city. Um, so it sort of, it began there in 2012. And, and so began a very, very, very long journey with, with highs and lows. And, and you know, we, we found an investor, we found a site, we designed a distillery, we lost the investor, we found new investors, we lost the site, we, we're right back to square one. And that takes us to about 2016, when we finally managed to find our current site and then we, we, we began again, if you like. Um, and so, you know, we're now 2022 and we still haven't quite finished construction of the distillery, but it should be finished finally this year. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a, a 10 year journey. And originally you, it was. You, so um, are you, have you begun the process of the whiskey? Because whiskey, you know, the, the, often people produce the gins yeah. Before they get to the whiskey, are your whiskies underway? Um, to a certain extent. Um, so we, we haven't started producing whiskey in any commercial sense yet. You know, um, we can only do that once we have a whiskey distillery. Um, but I always say we've been creating our whiskey for several years now because from two idiots playing in a back garden in London ten years ago, uh, we then uh, uh, hooked up with uh, Harriet Watt University, who are based just outside Edinburgh. With them, we developed a research program that, that we've been running for three years. Um, and that was all about researching and investigating the opportunities with yeast and fermentation and whiskey production. For, for a long time, the whiskey industry sort of glossed over this bit of the process. And they used a, a, something called distiller's yeast that just sort of produces a lot of alcohol and, you know, gave them lots of whiskey. We decided to try out all sorts of yeasts that haven't been used in whiskey production before. We looked at wine yeast, brewer's yeast. Uh, sake yeast, rum yeast, and we created scores of tiny samples of spirits using all these different yeasts. 24 different yeasts we trialed, 24 little 
spirits we created with those. And of those, we, we selected our seven favorite ones that were creating incredibly intense flavors and fascinating uh, flavors that we could bring into our whiskey. And, and even with those, we've, we've selected our top two that we're going to start producing our whiskey with. So although we haven't started commercially producing whiskey, we've been doing a huge amount of work over the last few years in terms of uh, defining what kind of whiskey we're going to make and, and how we're going to make it. And I mean, you, you mentioned the port and sherry as well. Um, I have some bottles here. Actually, one of the first things we did when we announced our plans is we we bottled a sherry, um, uh, which a lot of thought, people thought, my goodness, what on earth are these people do, uh, are doing? But this was actually focusing on the, the maturation end of our whiskey, on, on the casks. So as many of your listeners may be aware of, you know, people love, uh, including myself, whiskeys that have been matured in sherry casks. Um, and that's actually a, a practice that, that originates from where we're building our whiskey in Leith. So we're in Leith, which is the, 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 the port of Edinburgh, if you like, and, and historically, really, Scotland's gateway to the world, um, right up until the 20th century, where we began to face America more with Glasgow. Um, but, but until, you know, for most of Scotland's history, it was Leith, and it was in Leith where you had uh, casks of sherry and port would arrive into the harbour, but also where all the whisky merchants stored their spirit. And the whisky merchants would say to the sherry merchant, oh, once you've emptied your cask, I'll take that and put my spirit in it. And they began to discover that customers loved the whisky that had been stored in the sherry cask. So that's a, that's a practice that really emerged from Leaf, where we're making our distillery. So that's a story we wanted to tell, but also we found a specific producer in Spain whose casks we're going to use to mature our whisky and we sell their sherry as well. So again, we, we, we've been using the years, you know, in, in developing this project to really focus on how we're going to make our whiskey, but also how we're going to mature it, finding the best casks possible, all the different strands, slowly pulling them together to, uh, to make uh, our, our, our Scotch whiskey. But in the meantime, you are producing a gin. We are indeed, yes. Really garnering a lot of praise. And it's quite an unusual botanical with peppercorns, if I'm read everything correctly. Uh, well, yes, yes. You're, you're, so I'm, I'm talking to you now from our brand new gin distillery. So um, for, for the longest time, we were just focused on whiskey and we thought, you know, the world doesn't need another gin. But really, the whiskey thing took so long, we began to develop some ideas about uh, what we might do if we made a gin. And actually, we, we developed the idea of, of, you know, there were so many gins emerging around the world and lots of wild and wonderful flavors. And, you know, I knew where I could find a rhubarb gin or a raspberry gin or, you know, whatever flavor of gin. But actually, we thought there was space to try and do something really classic, really sort of go back to the origin of what should a benchmark London dry gin taste like. And that was the origin of, of, of how we came up with our gin, Linden Lime. So um, a classic gin has to have juniper at its core. You know, juniper is a uh, uh, the, the, the key botanical in any gin, and indeed it's where the, the name gin comes from, the Dutch word for juniper is Geneva gin. Um, so, so you've got gin front and center, but then as we sort of uh, dug into the, the heritage of where, we're, where we are, we discovered the story of James Lind that we named our gin after. James Lind was a, a doctor uh, from Edinburgh who identified that citrus fruit prevented scurvy. Um, and he, he's almost more famous for, for conducting one of the world's first uh, recorded clinical trials where he put sailors into six groups, gave them each a separate diet and observed that the ones who, who were consuming citrus fruits didn't get scurvy. And so, it, as I said, going back to that classic gin recipe, you've got juniper, but then you always have a citrus element in a gin. And so we decided we would use lime um, to, to sort of celebrate that James Lind and, and, and his research. Um, Leith is also where Rose's Lime Cordial was first produced, you know, now owned by Coca-Cola, but again, another sort of uh, lime strand to, to, to where we're from. Um, and so we developed this idea for our gin that, that would not only sort of create a benchmark style, but also tell stories about Leith and, and, our, and the provenance of where it's made. And we launched it back in 2018 in a very small industrial unit uh, uh, down the road from where I'm, I'm standing right now, right next to the car pound. If you ever had your car towed in Leith, you knew where to find our distillery. Um, and and we, we had very low expectations. You know, we thought, you know, the world doesn't need another gin, but we'll make one anyway and see how it goes. And it just went bananas. It, it has well, been hugely you've successful. Won, so. You've won gold from the Spirit Masters in the UK, gold from the Craft Spirits in Berlin, gold from the Bartender Spirit Awards in the United States, and the best London dry gin of 2020 for the Scottish Gin Awards. And mm. you just told me uh, when we were chatting earlier that we're going to be able to enjoy your gin very shortly here in the States. 
Absolutely, yes. We're very excited this year. So, so we, we, we are already exporting to 24 countries around the world. It's taken us a bit longer to, to, to get into the US, but we're very excited to finally be sending our first shipment off in July. So I think it'll be to be uh, available to uh, in, in a variety of states. I'm not sure exactly ones, uh, which ones to begin with, but probably from September, October. Um, which is and, and in fact, this year we just won a double gold medal from the San Francisco uh, Spirits competition as well, which was very exciting indeed. So, yes, we're, we're, we're ready and primed, but possibly the award I'm most proud of, I'm just going to name another one, is last year we won a most sustainable gin uh, from the Scottish Gin Awards because we, we, we decided from day one to sort of integrate as much sort of responsibility and sustainability into how we produce our products. So our gin is produced with 100% plastic free materials. Uh, we use 100% organic ingredients in it, um, and we power our, our distillation here uh, with, from renewable electricity, 100% um, uh, electricity source from, from renewable sources. So um, it's, it's a very delicious product, but it's also very responsibly made um, and something that we, we, we intend to integrate into everything we do as a company. Well, we are delighted to meet you. We're very excited to be now aware of your journey and to join you on it and to share the news that you're going to have around the sherry and the port and most especially the gin in the coming weeks with everybody here because you know we will share that through our news broadcasts and our bulletins and also I hope catch up with you when you open the whiskey distillery. I, I think it'd be great if we could join you and see how that's coming along. Absolutely, yes. Well, you, you, you know, we're, we're meeting at quite an exciting stage in our, in our story. Um, this year, obviously, we've just moved into this new distillery, but by the end of the year, finally, the Port of Leaf distillery will be up and running and we'll have whiskey pouring off our still. So absolutely, uh, you know, we'll, we'll love to keep in touch and, and share our story as it progresses. So it's going to be an exciting few years ahead of us, certainly. Well, I'm going to be popping into Edinburgh in a couple of weeks and in August. Oh, so I would love to pop down and see if I can see the distillery and um, see what's going on. Certainly. Um, that bottle looked a very interesting uh, vessel. It uh, wasn't a plain old bottle. So, so yeah, the... Uh, again, uh, as we sort of uh, uh, learned about the history of where we produce our gin, so, you know, you had all these merchants bringing barrels of port and sherry into Leith, and they had to be decanted into bottles. And so in Leith, there was a massive uh, wine bottle manufacturing industry, the Leith Glassworks, producing wine bottles. So that inspired the shape of our bottle to use that wine bottle shape. And in fact, on the base of our bottle, there's a little, little sort of Easter egg. We marked the Leith Glassworks as a sort of tribute to that industrial heritage of the area. Um, and then we, we, the color of the glasses, because we, we have a very high recycled content in our glasses, 75% recycled, and we use this off-white color, which is sort of a, a blend of, of white and green glass, if you like. Um, and then we added the ribs just to, to make it more beautiful. But yes, the, the, the bottle is what really draws people into our product without a doubt. And but your, it's, the base of your bottle looks very almost handmade, the way yeah. Oh, you think so? Yes. Well, it's um, it's it's not handmade. I must, you know, it, it it's <laughs> it comes comes to us from Italy. But um, really? but yeah. yeah, no, but uh, but it's um, it was a very long project to make this. You know, to uh, it, it was a good eighteen months of sort of development, slowly but surely, sort of different iterations of the design, etc. But that time certainly paid off in the end because it's uh, as I say, it's what's drawn so many people to our gin. And then they taste it and they come back for more because they like what's inside the bottle. So. And one last question. You're, mm. uh, at the moment, your port and your sherry is coming in from uh, Spain and Portugal? Exactly right. Yes, yes. So we found two exemplary producers whose wine we buy and we share and we enjoy. Um, uh, so here's our port, for example. So this is produced by uh, a, a small family producer in the Douro Valley where port is made uh, called Mar Martha's Estate. And they were previously selling their tawny port to a far lar larger blender um, and it was disappearing into a large blend. But now we get their wine bottled specifically for us. And it's a tawny port, which is a, a lighter, more delicate style of port. It's matured in a barrel for six to eight years and it produces these lovely, complex, nutty and dried fruit flavors. So it's an absolute... I, as I say, you know, my, my background before this was in the wine industry. So the, these products are very close to my heart and I love the port particularly um, very much. But then it is bottled in Portugal and it's bottled um, and the sherry is bottled in, in Spain. Right. Um, 
but then we then and that's because it's the law you have to port has to be bottled in in portugal sherry has to be uh, bottled in in spain but then we then buy the empty casks and ship those over for for our for our uh, whiskey um we've just been placing our first large orders for casks from both producers ready for the the whiskey that's going to be pouring off our stills in the not too distant future so well that's this yeah. is fantastic so thank you for give, taking the time to be with us um i'm fascinated you're busy in there and we will catch up with you very soon fantastic thank you so much it's been a great pleasure thank you camilla thank you for joining us this month I've really enjoyed speaking to these young distilleries. It's so exciting as we follow their journey and then see them arrive into the United States for all of us to enjoy too. And so to learn more about the programs and projects surrounding the American Scottish Foundation, please go to our website, americanscottishfoundation.org. And so join us again the first and third Monday of the month for another episode of Scots in Us. Mm -hmm.